0: The Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast depends on your generous support. A lot of work and time and energy and effort goes into these podcasts. So if you enjoy what you hear and want to hear more podcasts and would like to see this project continue in the future, please consider a donation at org. There's a donation button to the right-hand side where you can click through PayPal and donate whatever you would like. Every little bit helps. Thanks, and we appreciate you listening and supporting the Feminist Mormon Housewives Podcast.
1: One, two, three, go. Feminist Mormon Housewives. Feminist Mormon.
0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and we are continuing on with our series of A Year of Polygamy, which sounds like a bucket of fun. If you haven't been following the series, I would ask you to go to episode one, where we start with Fanny Alger. This series is really designed to help you digest and uh, explore the issues of LDS polygamy, Mormon polygamy, as it applies to us. So we're starting with The Wives of Joseph Smith because that's where really we start heavily adopting this practice. Hopefully we're going to go um, and set the stage earlier than Joseph Smith later on when we bring on some experts. But we are going to just talk about The Wives of Joseph Smith for now. And uh, we started with Fanny Alger and we got a little bit out of order because we... I had Alice Fisher-Roberts talk about her ancestors, a mother and daughter duo, both who married Joseph Smith. So if you haven't checked out Sylvia and Patty Sessions, you need to listen to Alice's. Those are the previous episodes. Um, It's thought that Mary Rollins was either in between them or right before them. We're going to try something a little bit new today, so I hope the format isn't off-putting. It might be a little strange at first, but you'll get used to it as we go throughout the other formats. In an effort to give these women a real voice and let them speak their history, I've asked some very talented people to do some voice work for these women. So during the quoted parts that we actually have in their own handwriting, we will let them tell their story. And I'd like to thank Melissa Mayhew for um, being our first reader today as Mary Rollins. The woman we're going to talk about today, Mary Elizabeth Rollins-Leitner, So we're going to talk to you about her today and uh, tell you about her life. Now, again, I don't really like giving numbers because depending on the chronology and the historian, you'll get a different number of wives. But Mary Rollins-Leitner is pretty well accepted amongst most historians as a wife of Joseph Smith. She has a really rich history, and as much as possible when telling these stories, I like to let the people tell their own experiences and use their own words. I think that that's really good so we don't appropriate our own narrative onto these people. And luckily for us, Mary Rollins-Leitner wrote a lot. Again, I would recommend her autobiography, which you can find online. I've linked to it. And Todd Compton's In Sacred Loneliness, The Plural Wives of Joseph Smith, fills in with so much more detail than I can cover in this podcast. I definitely recommend it. I've also linked to that. Here's what Mary tells us about herself.
1: I was born in the town of Lima, Livingston County, state of New York, April ninth, 1818. My father, John D. Rollins, came from one of the New England states. I think it was Vermont. My mother, Kezia Ketchera von Benthesen, was born in Albany, state of New York. May sixteenth, seventeen 1796. She married my father in 1814 or 1815. Three children were the fruit of this marriage, James Henry, myself, and Sister Carolyn, the youngest. When Carolyn was six months old, my father was shipwrecked on Lake Ontario during a terrible storm. Only one person was saved out of all the passengers and crew. When I was ten years old... We moved to Kirtland, Ohio, and lived in a house belonging to Algernon Sidney Gilbert, mother's sister's husband. We remained there two years when we heard of the plates of the Book of Mormon being found by Joseph Smith. Soon the news was confirmed by the appearance of Oliver Cowdery, Peter Whitmer, and Zeba Peterson, with the glorious news of the restoration of the Gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith. They bore a powerful testimony by the Holy Spirit, of the truth of the great work they were engaged in, and which they were commissioned by the Father to present to all the world.
0: Mary Rollins first met Joseph Smith in early 1831. She and her family were new converts, and Joseph Smith had just arrived in Kirtland from New York State. When she was twelve, Mary remembers,
1: When he saw me, he looked at me so earnestly. I felt almost afraid, and I thought, He can read my every thought and I thought how blue his eyes were. After a moment or two, he came and put his hands on my head and gave me a great blessing, the first I ever received.
0: Several days after Mary and her mother attended a meeting Joseph has, had organized, Joseph was reportedly in the middle of a sermon and suddenly stopped. This is her again. This is Mary speaking.
1: And his countenance shone and seemed almost transparent, it seemed as though the solemnity of eternity rested upon all of us he seemed almost transfixed he was looking ahead and his face outshone the candle which was on the shelf just behind him i thought i could almost see the cheekbones he looked as though a searchlight was inside his face and shining through every pore i could not take my eyes from his face
0: so you can tell that she was really enamored with him even from a young age she talks often about being so moved by his, you know, physical presence. And of course this is written years later in her journal, but this is remembering her recollection. And I can imagine that it was often romanticized later on because Joseph Smith didn't just become, um, founding, prophet of their church, he became this legend and this almost mythical creature. And anyone in the Utah period who had direct ties with him would be held in high esteem. And sometimes that would be used to give sort of a cachet or a, or a social credibility. Joseph would eventually prepare Mary for marriage. She, she writes about it saying,
1: He told me about his great vision concerning me. He said I was the first woman God commanded him to take as a plural wife.
0: So she claims that Joseph said that she was the first woman he should take. Now, if that's true, Joseph disobeyed God because we know that Mary would be way down the list. I, you know, If we're going to number, which I don't like to do, she would be eight or nine in the plural wife line. In the fall of that year, Mary and her family leave Kirtland for Zion, which was being established in Missouri. So she didn't marry him just yet because she's still pretty young. One of Mary's spiritual gifts includes the gift of tongues. Now we also call that glossolalia, and glossolalia was a very popular spiritual gift at the time. It wasn't just Mormons that practiced it. It was this very—it was, it was almost attributed to to females. Females carried the spiritual gift way often more than males. She had heard Oliver Cowdery and Thomas B. March speak Glossinalia, and she wanted to interpret them so she prayed to understand their strange words. So she hears them speak in tongues. And Compton writes that, quote, "...on one night the brethren came to the Gilbert home for a meeting and were filled with the spirit and spoke in tongues. Mary was called upon to interpret it and felt the spirit of it in the moment." So she hears him speak, and she interprets it, which it would often happen. Someone would get up and speak, blah, 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 and then someone would say, oh, brother and so-and-so is having a vision from God, and he is saying that we should all move to Missouri. Anyway, so Mary interprets it, and her interpretation predicts that the saints would be driven from Jackson County by mobs. The High Council and Oliver Cowdery protested stridently and even wrote to Joseph Smith and Kirtland concerning the matter. They were so, you know, disturbed by this. Smith answers that Mary had interpreted their uh, words correctly.
1: Interpretations belonged to the priesthood, but as they had not asked for the gift, and I had, it was taken from their shoulder and put onto mine.
0: Another time when she was 14, she interpreted one of Oliver Cowdery's sermons that was reportedly spoken in some Indian language. Now, you've got to remember that uh, the saints are kind of on the edges of the West Joseph Smith, as well as some of his apostles and other leaders, were obsessed with Indians, Indian lore. Um, obviously, it's in the Book of Mormon. Uh, you can look up Zelf, the white Lamanite, if you want to hear some of the lore. Joseph Smith reportedly found bones, because there were Indian mounds all the time, and he said, "This is a, I have a revelation that this is a, a Lamanite. He was a giant Lamanite, and he was white, Zelf, the white Lamanite. So Oliver Cowdery, too, was, you know, concerned with the indians this was a huge part of the american west and would shape the saints definitely so oliver Cowdery has a sermon and he gives it in this supposed indian language and she affirmed that an indian agent present asked where where she had learned the language because she was able to interpret it and mary wrote
1: i lost the gift after we were driven
0: apparently she stopped interpreting this tongue speech after leaving jackson county Mary was influential in Mormon history for several reasons, but one of the things she was the most remembered for is preserving the Book of Commandments. This is a big deal. The Book of Commandments came before the Doctrine and Covenants, and, uh, when I was down at the Church History Library, they let me hold the Book of, one of the original Book of Commandments. There are only a few, like, I, I wanna say, I could get this wrong, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's like six or seven copies. It's like a small, small number. And um, I think I was holding Whitmer's copy. And it's really cool because they have the first... It was like the Doctrine and Covenants, so they would type up the first part, and then the second, you know, the rest is written in Whitmer's hand, which is really cool. So she preserves the Book of Commandments. She accounts the time she was attacked by the mob. So this is her words again. She said,
1: Soon after this, I saw Bishop Partridge tarred and feathered in the street. Also, Brother Charles Allen... My sister and I saw them cover them with tar and empty a pillow of feathers over them. A friend helped to wash the tar off from Bishop Partridge. She said it came off easy as dirt, whereupon a man who had helped put it on said, Well, if they can wash it off that easy, I'll use this. He then held up a cat of nine tails. Just then, a Masonic sign was given, and he was left in peace. Just before these troubles, I went to work for Peter Whitmer, a tailor by trade. He was crowded with work, and Lilburn W. Boggs, who had just been elected lieutenant governor, offered him a room in his house, as he wanted Peter to make his suit for inauguration ceremonies. Peter made the suit, and I stitched the collar and faced the coat. Mr. Boggs often came in to watch us work, and as I was considered a very good seamstress, he hired me to make his fine ruffle bosom shirts and assist his wife in sewing. I worked for them some time, during which they tried to induce me to leave the church and live with them, said they would educate me, and do for me as if I was their own daughter. They had one little girl, two years old, and two sons, one was near my own age, fourteen years. Their persuasions were of no avail. The mob renewed their efforts again by tearing down the printing office, driving Sister Phelps with her family into the street-she was living in a part of the building. My sister Caroline and I were in a corner of the fence, tremblingly watching the proceedings, and when they brought out a pile of large sheets of paper saying, Here are some of the damned Mormon commandments, I was determined to have some of them. Sister said she would go too, but added, They'll kill us. While their backs were turned, tearing out the gable and prying about the roof, we ran and grabbed our arms full and were turning away when one of the mob yelled for us to stop. Two started after us, but we ran as fast as our legs could carry us, "'through a gap of the fence into a large cornfield, "'laid the sheets down, and then we laid down flat over them. "'They hunted around for us, coming very near, "'and making our hearts beat with fear "'as we could see their legs at times beneath the corn. "'But they finally left. "'We had a hard time finding our way out, "'not knowing which way to go. "'But finally we found some trees that had been girdled to kill them. "'We followed these,' "'and came out on the other side, finding an old unused stable, "'where Sister Phelps had already gone, "'and she was carrying in brush to prepare beds for her children. "'When told what we had done, she took them from us, "'making us feel very sad. "'But later she had some bound and gave us some. "'I saw grain and haystacks burned and much property destroyed. "'Uncle Gilbert's store was broken into, "'the goods thrown into the public square.' Families went to the temple block where the bishop and first counselor, John Carroll, lived for mutual protection, while some brethren were hiding in the woods, food being carried to them in the night.
0: So we've seen that scene before. I think there's even a church painting where this little girl and her sister are carrying parts of the Book of Commandments and uh, later Doctrine and Covenants in her arms. And you can imagine what a powerful, brave thing that was to do. Three years later, Mary and Joseph would be reunited when Joseph is leading Zion's Camp Expedition from Ohio to Missouri. Mary remembers... In
1: 1834, he was commanded to take me for a wife. I was a thousand miles from him. He got afraid.
0: At the close of Zion's Camp, Joseph returns to Kirtland, and Mary stayed in Missouri, living in Liberty and Far West. And she rejects Joseph's offer. In 1835, although attracting the attention of Joseph Smith Jr. when she was 16, Mary meets and begins to court another man, Adam Leitner. He's a 25-year-old non-Mormon originally from Pennsylvania. So Joseph wants her at 16. She tells him no. She ends up marrying Adam Leitner on August 11th. She was only 17 years old. So they reside in Liberty but soon move to far west Caldwell County where Adam opens up a store. On June 18th, 1836, she has her first child, Miles Henry. As persecution becomes worse, Mary finds herself struggling with challenges of poverty. I mean, they run from home to home and so they it's hard for them to acquire any stuff, any property, any wealth and get settled down. She and her husband were stranded for a time in Kentucky to avoid the mobs and They had really finite resources that they were living from. She tries sewing and painting to get by, um, picking up odd odd jobs here and there. But she, she doesn't make very much income. And she was said to have spent the money on molasses that she did make and cornmeal, which kept her family alive for a few days. But Adam and the baby became sick from eating nothing but cornmeal. According to Compton, quote, Eventually, the Lightners heard that the Mormons were regrouping in Illinois and that Henry Rollins was in Alton just north of St. Louis. So they sold their meager possessions and traveled northwest. When they arrived at Henry's house, however, they were already, there were already two families living with him. Mary managed to obtain some medicine for her sick baby and found some painting students. The Lightners transferred to a boarding house, then moved to Mary's mother's cabin in Montrose across Mississippi from Nauvoo. There Mary Elizabeth bore her second char- child, Caroline, on October 18, 1840. Three weeks later, Adam, unable to find work, the Lightners moved to Farmington 50 miles east of Nauvoo, and settled in a two-room house. Adam practiced carpentry and Mary sewed, but their bank failed and they lost their savings, so returned to the burks home near Nauvoo. At one point, Adam had loaned $2,000 to some church brethren, but they took advantage of the bankruptcy law and defaulted on their debt. One paid with a barrel of pork, but it turned out to be full of weevils. During this difficult time, Adam was again unemployed, so Mary began giving painting lessons, and her pupils included Julia Murdoch-Smith, Joseph Smith's adopted daughter, and Sarah Ann Whitney, later one of Joseph's other plural wives. With the money she earned, she bought a Nauvoo lot near Joseph Smith's. End quote. So uh, she's painting, she's doing her best, they're struggling. In 1842, Joseph approaches Mary ab- again about becoming his wife. She recounts
1: I was there in all the tribulations and trials. I have been in the houses that have been stoned. "'The rocks have been thrown criss-cross in every direction. "'I have seen the brethren shot and ruined for life. "'I saw the first martyr dead, "'and a more heavenly corpse I never saw "'or expect to see on the face of the earth. "'His face was so happy. "'I have seen our bishop tarred and feathered "'in the streets of Missouri. "'They took off his shirt and covered him with tar, "'and then took a pillow and turned the feathers over him. "'I looked at him and thought— If ever a man was counted worthy to be a martyr, he was. His life proved it, for he lived an upright and honorable life, and was beloved by the prophet while he lived, and after he died the prophet honored him. Two of his sisters were Joseph's wives. Emma took them by the hand and gave them to Joseph. I asked him if Emma knew about me, and he said, Emma thinks the world of you. I was not sealed to him until I had a witness. I had been dreaming for a number of years that I was his wife. I thought I was a great sinner. I prayed to God to take it from me, for I felt it was a sin. But when Joseph sent for me, he told me all of these things. "'Well,' said I, "'don't you think it was an angel of the devil that told you these things?' Said he, "'No, it was an angel of God. God Almighty showed me the difference between an angel of light and Satan's angels.' The ANGEL CAME TO ME THREE TIMES BETWEEN THE YEARS OF 1834 AND 1842, AND SAID I WAS TO OBEY THAT PRINCIPLE, OR HE WOULD SLAY ME. BUT, SAID HE, THEY CALLED ME A FALSE AND FALLEN PROPHET, BUT I AM MORE IN FAVOR WITH MY GOD THIS DAY THAN I EVER WAS IN ALL MY LIFE BEFORE. I KNOW THAT I SHALL BE SAVED IN THE KINGDOM OF GOD. I HAVE THE OATH OF GOD UPON IT, AND GOD CANNOT LIE. All that he gives me I shall take with me, for I have that authority and that power conferred upon me. Well, I talked with him for a long time, and finally I told him that I would never be sealed to him until I had a witness. Said he, You shall have a witness. Said I, If God told you that, why does he not tell me? He asked me if I was going to be a traitor. I HAVE NEVER TOLD A MORTAL, AND SHALL NEVER TELL MORTAL, THAT I HAD SUCH A TALK FROM A MARRIED MAN, SAID I. WELL, SAID HE, PRAY EARNESTLY, FOR THE ANGEL SAID TO ME THAT YOU SHOULD HAVE A WITNESS. WELL, BRIGHAM YOUNG WAS WITH ME. HE SAID IF I HAD A WITNESS, HE WANTED TO KNOW IT. WHY SHOULD I TELL YOU, SAID I. WELL, SAID HE, I WANT TO KNOW FOR MYSELF said he, Do you know what Joseph said? Since we left the office, an angel appeared to him and told him he was well pleased with him and that you should have a witness. I made it a subject of prayer, and I worried about it because I did not dare to speak to a living being except Brigham Young. I went out and got between three haystacks where no one could see me. As I knelt down, I thought, Why not pray as Moses did? HE PRAYED WITH HIS HANDS RAISED. WHEN HIS HANDS WERE RAISED, ISRAEL WAS VICTORIOUS, BUT WHEN THEY WERE NOT RAISED, THE PHILISTINES WERE VICTORIOUS. I LIFTED MY HANDS, AND I HAVE HEARD JOSEPH SAY THAT ANGELS COVERED THEIR FACES. I KNELT DOWN, AND IF EVER A poor MORTAL PRAYED, I DID. A FEW NIGHTS AFTER THAT AN ANGEL OF THE LORD CAME TO ME, AND IF EVER A THRILL WENT THROUGH A MORTAL, IT WENT THROUGH ME. I gazed upon the clothes and figure, but the eyes were like lightning. They pierced me from the crown of the head to the soles of my feet. I was frightened almost to death for a moment. I tried to waken my aunt, but I could not. The angel leaned over me, and the light was very great, although it was night. When my aunt woke up, she said she had seen a figure in white robes pass from our bed to my mother's bed and pass out of the window. Joseph came up next Sabbath. He said, Have you had a witness yet? No. Well, said he, the angel expressly told me you should have. Said I, I have not had a witness, but I have seen something I have never seen before. I saw an angel, and I was frightened almost to death. I did not speak. He studied for a while, and put his elbows on his knees and his face in his hands. He looked up and said, HOW COULD YOU HAVE BEEN SUCH A COWARD? SAID I, I WAS WEAK. DID YOU THINK TO SAY, FATHER HELPED ME? NO. WELL, IF YOU HAD JUST SAID THAT, YOUR MOUTH WOULD HAVE BEEN OPENED, FOR THAT WAS AN ANGEL OF THE LIVING GOD. HE CAME TO YOU WITH MORE KNOWLEDGE, INTELLIGENCE, AND LIGHT THAN I HAVE EVER DARED TO REVEAL. I SAID, IF IT WAS AN ANGEL OF LIGHT, WHY DID HE NOT SPEAK TO ME? You covered your face, and for this reason the angel was insulted. Said I, Will it ever come again? He thought a moment, and then said, No, not that same one. But, if you are faithful, you shall see greater things than that. And he gave me three signs of what would take place in my own family, although my husband was far away from me at the time. Every work came true. I went forward, and was sealed to him brigham young performed the sealing and heber c kimball the blessing i know he had six wives and i have known some of them from childhood up i knew he had three children they told me i think two are living today but they are not known as his children as they go by other names
0: so that was a long personal history of hers but in february of 1842 she becomes joseph smith's wife Mary continues to live with her first husband, Adam. Of this arrangement, she later writes, quote, I could tell you why I stayed with Mr. Leitner, things the current church leaders of the church does not know anything about. I did just as Joseph told me to do. The arrangement wasn't easy, and Compton points out, quote, once again unable to find employment in Nauvoo, Adam soon secured a job cutting cordwood 15 miles up the Ponisouk. He brought up a log house there, and Mary prepared to follow him. However, Joseph Smith was distraught at his new wife's decision to leave him and the saints.
1: While the tears ran down his cheeks, he prophesied that if we attempted to leave the church, we would have plenty of sorrow, for we would make property on the right hand and lose it on the left. We would have sickness on sickness and lose our children, and that I would have to work harder than I ever dreamed of, And at last, when you are worn out and almost ready to die, you will get back to the church.
0: Mary thought that those things were hard sayings, as her life had been about as hard as possible. But the rest of her autobiography is written in the form of a narrative showing the complete fulfillment of of Smith's prophecy, ending with her arrival in Utah after years of misfortune spent apart from the saints. Before she leaves, Smith rebaptized the Rollins and Leitner family and tried hard to get Mr. Leitner to go into the water, but Adam said he did not feel worthy. End quote from Compton. Um, The Leitner family tried to survive on Little in Pontesouk. Mary continued to make some money, sewing and doing odd jobs, while Adam cut cordwood. Their child, George, suddenly became sick and died. She says,
1: I was alone with him at the time. Husband had gone to a neighbor's for assistance. An old lady helped me dress him, and Mr. Lightner had to make the coffin. He was the only carpenter in the place. The two men that dug the grave and a little girl was all that went to bury my darling.
0: Mary felt that Smith's prophecy was just beginning to be fulfilled. Um, In the book Sacred Loneliness, Compton chronicles more of the hardships. Um, recounting that her home had been struck by lightning and her family became sick for six months with chills and they got the fever and Mary almost dies. She has a dream where an angel tells her she would be healed if she went to Nauvoo and asked for Brother Cutler, who worked in the temple, to give her a blessing. And she wants to go straight away, but the family was way too weak and too poor to, f- to um, go, but they finally figured it out. A green liquid was supposedly flowing from her mouth as she traveled and the hue of death was on her countenance, she says. In Nauvoo, they asked local residents if there was a brother Cutler who worked on the temple. And she was told, yes, Alpheus Cutler. He was brought to her and gave her the blessing immediately. And she wrote, quote, I got up and walked to the fire alone in two weeks. I was able to take care of my children. In 1845, she received her endowment in the home of Parley P. Pratt and was welcomed in the secret and elite group of the Holy Order. So at the time, the Holy Order was very secret, very elite. It was usually only given to people who were in plural marriage. It was kind of the secret higher order of things. She was a widow of Joseph Smith, so she definitely enjoyed some prestige. And um, after he died, of course, this led to her next marriage where... Um, she marries Brigham Young. So she is sealed to Brigham Young for time in a proxy marriage on May 22nd, 1845, um, which was kind of a proxy for Joseph Smith. She continues to live with Adam. And as, as, as was customary at the time, this marriage was repeated in the Nauvoo temple the same day she received her endowment. When the church leaves Nauvoo, Mary and Adam decide to stay behind. She evidently took her marriage to Brigham seriously and remembered his departure with some bitterness. He asked her if she wanted to leave with the Saints, and she said yes. A few days later, however, she learned from her stepfather that Young and his family were crossing the Mississippi on ice, and she writes, quote,
1: I felt stunned the thought came to me that polygamy was of the devil and brigham knew it or he would have cut off his right hand before he would have left me i wept myself sick and felt to give up and go among the gentiles in fact i felt as though i was like one in any open boat at sea without compass or rudder as
0: the mormon population in nauvoo starts to dwindle the anti-mormon's prepare to ransack the city and Mary's brother Henry tries to rally resistance against a mob with a flag according to the family tradition and this is possibly embellished in a sort of you know romanticized uh, anecdote the family tradition quote at that critical moment Aunt Mary Leitner stepped up and said I'll carry that flag one of the captains came up to her If you and your brother and your husband and your husband's people will come out of Nauvoo, we will murder all the rest of your people. Mary turned on her heel and cried, Blow away! I'll back and die with them! End quote. Despite their threats, the mob reportedly scattered. So that's according to their family tradition. After Joseph was killed, they live in Nauvoo. In 1863, they eventually moved to Utah and they settled in Minersville. And Mary becomes active in organizing the church there. When a relief society was formed in Minersville, most likely in early 1869, Mary, now 15, was chosen to be president. On May 27th, Eliza, Eliza R. Snow wrote to congratulate her, quote, I was pleased to hear that a female relief society was organized in Minersville and also pleased that you were appointed to preside over it. Um, many things happened in Utah which are too complex for this, this episode, but, um, She suffered extreme poverty, lots of depression, she was depressed a lot, the death of her husband in 1887, tuberculosis, uh, the scandal of her 24-year-old son who was convicted of grand larceny. Mary becomes financially drained from the expenses of death and her husband and feels powerless to defend her son, who she always thought to be innocent. She worked tire, tirelessly to exonerate him, and after many months was able to free him, but it took a great toll on her. He died shortly after the age of 28, and it was said um, Mary spirals into this depression. Several women of the early society kept in contact with her and often chastised her for her, quote, dark moods, but obviously that didn't work. Emmeline Wells, in February tenth, 1887, chided her, saying, quote, I was in hopes that your visit here last summer and the good luck you had in getting your son pardoned would have made you quite brave and strong for the daily cares and annoyances of battling for a living." End quote. Um Mary continued to battle for a living and even asked the church for assistance several times she helped some of the time but um sometimes the bishop's payments didn't make it and she struggled to provide for herself her children her remaining children struggling themselves tried to help take care of her Zina Huntington wrote to her um and you know, tried to cheer her up. She Zina Huntington was also married to Joseph Smith and to Brigham Young. She said, My darling sister, be patient, for oh what glories lay before you. I'm improving so, improving slowly in health, of which I'm very thankful for. Where will we be one year from today? I would not like to lift the curtain if I could. Your true and loving sister, Zina D. Young. After receiving yet another important prophecy for her life, Mary was said to be working with Apostle Heber C. Kimball in the endowment house when he said, Sister Lightner, you will see Joseph before you die. She recounts in her autobiography,
1: I want to say to you, as I have said before, that Joseph said if I was faithful, I should see greater things than the angel. Since then I have seen other persons. Three came together and stood before me just as the sun went down. Joseph, Hiram, and Heber C. Kimball. It was prophesied that I should see Joseph before I died. Still, I was not thinking about that. I was thinking about a sermon I had heard. All at once I looked up, and they stood before me. Joseph stood in the middle of the circle like the new moon, and he stood with his arms over their shoulders. They bowed to me about a dozen times or more. I pinched myself to make sure I was awake, and I looked around the room to see where I had placed things. I thought I would shake hands with them. They saw my confusion and understood it, and they laughed, and I thought Brother Kimball would almost kill himself laughing. I had no fear. As I went to shake hands with them, they bowed, smiled, and began to fade. They went like the sun sinks behind a mountain or a cloud. It gave me more courage and hope than I had ever had before.
0: In her elderly years, Mary wrote to an acquaintance.
1: I love to talk about the prophet and the early days of the church. I will always remember how Joseph looked at that first ceiling. He was tall and of a commanding figure, full of life. Yes, I could tell you many things that I cannot write. I remember every word he ever said to me of importance.
0: Mary passed away on December seventeenth, 1913, in Minersville, Beaver County, Utah. So I would encourage you to go read more of this great history. It's so rich, and I try to keep it as brief as possible. But she was definitely a spiritual woman and definitely, definitely involved um, in this practice and definitely a huge fan of Joseph Smith's. So anyway, uh, leave us your comments in the comment section at feministbornhousehousepodcast.org, and thanks for joining us.